This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey there, welcome to this week's Dune Talk. If you're looking forward to Dune Part 2, you're at the right place. There are still months to wait for the movie, however, some exciting comments and images from the director's latest interview to analyze. And don't forget, there's also a Dune TV series currently in production. This is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at dunewsnet.com, and looking forward to discussing these movie insights with the crew. Um, I think we're going to talk about some fun stuff, and there might be some speculation, so we'll see. Hi, it's, uh, it's Mark at Dune Info here. Uh, great to be back talking Dune once again with you guys. Uh, also, if you're watching the video, there might be something a little bit different now. Dune Movie News. So although the movie is now premiering in 2024, uh, Dune remained the cover story on Emperor Magazine's October issue. In fact, there were multiple covers to choose from. The first is The Fighters, uh, featuring survivors of House Atreides, Paul, Jessica, and Gurney, and their new Fremen allies, represented by Stilgar and Chani. They're now united in their fight against the Harkonnens. Oppressing them on the second cover are the Oppressors, showcasing House Harkonnen, the Baron and his nephews Fade and Raban, and the Pyrim, represented by Princess Erlan Carino and Lady Margot. Interestingly, both of the latter are Bene Gesserit's sisters. There's no love within this, uh, this alliance. Uh, these factions seek over total control of Arrakis and its precious resources. Due to the still ongoing actors' union strikes, the magazine didn't feature any interviews with the cast. However, director Denise Villeneuve's uh, comments always are very insightful. So at the time of this interview, he was very busy with post-production and clearly in high spirits. Quoting him, Part one was like the promise of something, but part two delivers on that. He continues, I'm exhausted, but a happy director. Earlier this year, the director had also likened Dune part one to the appetizer, while Dune part two is a main course. Whatever an analogy he's using, he's certainly setting sky-high expectations for the second movie. Uh, Garen, what goes through your mind when you hear Villeneuve talking about this promise? That's the first thing I thought of, Marcus, was, wow, he is really setting the bar high here um, because it, it is an incredible undertaking to, to flesh out uh, the second half of, of the novel and really make it an epic war movie. But I loved that he said he gave it 100% and he, he, he's exhausted and he gave it his all. Um, now he's got a few more months to kind of uh, tweak it and put the final touches on it, which is kind of fun. But um, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised. But hey, if he's that confident about it, and he really wants to express it that way, I'm all in. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm impressed actually. Again, the delay, but it worked. I think it might have worked in our favor for part one. You know, they had a lot more months for the special effects and the editing and the the score. So hopefully, we can see the silver lining in the cloud that you know they've got a lot more time to. Uh, finesse and finalize part two and uh, yes I am I am a collector I did get all all of the Empire covers for my collection the complexity of part two I'm gathering is going to be uh, on a level that we haven't experienced yet especially with part one so I mean in a way it's it's kind of very fortunate that there's this extension I'm sure there's many people that are going to disagree with me there but an extension for the director and and uh, and editing and, and and other things to really just have time to let it breathe, and and put the final touches and, you know, I I'm, I'm not a filmmaker. I, I do know a little bit about the creative process uh, from one of my past jobs, but sometimes you don't want that creative process to go on too long. Actually, it can actually work against you. <clears throat> But I think this is I think this is a fortunate uh, situation just because of the complexity of part two, and being able to get it exactly right, and have uh, time for. It. And Denis is such a a creative, uh, expressive kind of a person, and and I just I want to imagine that this is taking a little bit of the pressure off of him to be able to make sure he feels that it's exactly the way he wants it to be before it hits theaters. So. I don't know if that's how the filmmaking process works in Hollywood nowadays, but I'd like to believe that this, agreeing with you, Mark, that this is going to end up being a, a boon for part two. Besides that moviegoers can expect some truly epic action on screen in this movie that was shot entirely in IMAX. He says, the first movie was more contemplative. 
a young man discovering the world. Here, it's a war movie. Development of its main characters remains its key story, and we can also expect touching moments. He talks about the growing relationship between the leads. At the very core is a love story between Paul and Shani, how Paul will gain her trust, how she will open her heart to him, and how they will find a way to free Chani's world from the Harkonnen grip. It's a much more emotional movie. We know that the latter, played by Zendaya, will have a lot more screen time in this movie. Villeneuve has made it clear that she's definitely one of the main characters this time around and plays a crucial role. Mark, do you feel the director's synopsis captures the key elements you'd expect to see in the second part of this Dune film adaptation? Um, yeah, it's it's tricky to know how he'll adapt it. Uh, with Lynch's Dune, you know, the entire second half of the film is compressed to pretty much montage and voiceover. So expanding or at least representing accurately Chani and uh, Jessica's role in the larger story um, will be very interesting to see how that's adapted. Because even in the book, Chani's a little bit more of a background character. Um, she has a lot larger role in a uh, later book, in the later book. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, it's it's part love story. It's part war movie. You know, you've got something like Dr. Zhivago or War and Peace, which are these huge romance epics set against a, a war background. So um, yeah, excited to see how he uh, visualizes that on screen. You know, it's interesting. I've always known that Chani has a smaller role in the first book, but is it just me or do we feel like her presence is bigger in the first book than it actually is? Yeah, I, I actually agree with that, Simon, that even after reading the book uh, many, many years ago, um, I felt like she did have more prominence than actually words on the page. It's interesting, Mark, that you brought up Dr. Shivago because that is an, uh, just an epic scale movie where it's, it's really a, a love story is at the center of that. But Dune has also been compared to Lawrence of Arabia, and we've we've done we've compared it to that movie many times on this on this show. Um, Lawrence of Arabia does not have that that love story element that goes throughout the film. So it's interesting to me that Villeneuve is is kind of marrying those two elements together of epic war movie, but also at the center of that having uh, this love story between Paul and Chani. And I think you know I I, I welcome that. I I'm excited about that. Zendaya has the acting chops to do that. Uh, so does Chalamet. Um, but I think that's what moviegoers expect these days. You know, I think with with all of the, the trends and 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 the uh, the comic superhero movies that are just everywhere nowadays, um, I think that's to be expected. But but I think it, like you were saying, Simon, I think that feels right to have Chani be a more prominent character and have the relationship with Paul be more fleshed out. Yeah, I think it's important that it, the movie isn't just a flashbang, uh, you know, um, action movie. There's actual real heart and real people um, at the heart, at the centre of the movie. Speaking of character development, uh, Paul is set to undergo a dramatic transformation over the course of the second film. He's going to be becoming the prophetic figure who is expected to lead the Fremen people to freedom. Uh, the director actually uh, reminisced about how during the filming of uh, part one, he had to keep uh, uh, Chalamet in, in check. Uh, back then, the star had already been really eager to explore uh, that aspect of the role. Uh, quote, um, I remember when I was doing part one, I kept saying to Timothy, no, you're just Paul, because he was reaching for moi deep. He was looking forward to becoming that hero, and I was pushing the brakes. But of course, something is not right with this evolution. As Paul's f fame increases, uh, so too does a sense that something terrible is approaching in the future. Villeneuve explains, he has the power to change things, but he knows that if he does so, it will create an astronomical amount of violence and he will become a kind of dictator. He's trying to find a way to avoid that ominous future. That's the burden upon his uh, shoulders. Simon, as someone who's very familiar with the original novel and where this character is, is heading, uh, do you feel that the director's comments uh, are reassuring regarding the movie faithfully adapting the character? Well, first of all, I love that Denis was like, Timothy, calm down. <laughs> don't don't go full quiz at Hazarat yet. This isn't the movie that you need to do that in. I do. I like that he, obviously Timothy read the book and everyone else, but kind of knew what was going to happen. But Denis kept that grounded and very much like, I don't want to... We see hints of it. Like in the tent scene, we see hints of it. We see a little bit of it later on, but 
it makes me happy that they had this relationship where it's like, don't go in full Quizzat Hazarat mode until the second movie. So it shows that Denis cares about the source material. Because if we saw Paul become this all-powerful Superman-like character in the first film, I feel like it would ruin the surprise, the, the twists and turns of what will happen in part two and eventually in Messiah. So I'm totally okay with it. And like at first when, you know, Timothy Chalamet was cast, I knew him from Call Me By Your Name, but in the past couple of years, I've seen more and more movies with him. And he's just an amazing actor. Like I can't wait to see him take on the role of, you know, the Muad'Dib and really own it. There was an anecdote from when uh, part one was uh, just out at the cinema and uh, they got the green light for part two. And apparently Denny texted uh, Chalamet with it's Muad'Dib time, uh, as the text message. <laughs> so, yes, uh, we, you know, he, he gets to put on the, the mantle of the Quizat Hadarak, uh, the Lisan Agaib, um, don't know if we'll get to see him called Usul as well in this movie, but maybe. Um, so yeah, it's it's really important that there's an actor that could can do both Paul and Muad'Dib. Uh, and you know, in our discussion with uh, Max Avery uh, recently about his book, he was talking about whether or not Val Kilmer could have played Paul Atreides in Lynch's Dune. And so, you know, would Val Kilmer has been able to do both. We've got Cal, who I think did a great job of both of them. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to Chalamet's. One of Denis' gifts is his ability to help uh, cast the right character, the right actor to the right character. And and it's interesting. I, I remember um, seeing some some of the first uh, photographs of Chalamet when his physical uh, body was bulked up, like his 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 arms and shoulders and, and biceps. Everything was 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 more uh, built up, like he'd been doing some. Some weightlifting, and and I think even that physical transformation from this boy-like figure, which at the beginning of part one, where uh, where you first see uh, Paul wake up, and and Chalamet is extremely thin. I mean, he's a he's a thinner person anyway, but he's he literally was so thin that he he looked like a teenager. So they they did that right, but to have him evolve into into this uh, demigod and this this military you know military leader uh which is Muad'Dib I I think just even his physical change um indicated to me that that you know not only can Chalamet do this from an emotional um sort of uh logical perspective but also physically uh he's being represented as a as a more powerful figure but what's also counter to that and will be an interesting balance is he is becoming uh, extremely, he will become extremely powerful in part two. But then will Villeneuve have him have this tenderness that is the connection with with Chani? Um, I think that's just going to be an interesting balance and dynamic to watch in part two. I think you need that. I think you need to have Paul Mwadid full-on, you know, Quizat Hazarat, but I, I want to see the sweet, romantic fall in love with Chani and have that relationship and show that he's not just this tyrant without going into full spoilers. But I feel like it's super important to show both sides of Paul being Paul that we fell in love with the first movie that we care about and, you know, is the heir to the Atreides. And also, I do want to see Uso, you know, Mwadid. Uh, Simon, what I think is really uh, powerful about that combination is Chalamet has the depth to be able to have that softer, uh, more loving, more intimate side of him be manifest and, and shown on screen. Um, but he also can, can, can be uh, brutal in a, in a leadership kind of a, a context. And, and I think at least in the trailer, you see that um, when he is out in front of all of the, the Fremen fighters and he raises his, his hand with a Chris knife and screams. And you can just feel this uh, almost this brutality and this anger and, and this revenge kind of feeling coming from him. So, um, you know, I think Villeneuve really knew what he was doing 
to have an actor that can span that range of emotion and 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 demonstrate it on screen, uh, I think I think I think Chalamet's the guy. I mean, he is the guy, whether we like it or not. But he was exactly the right choice, in my opinion. There's a movie I saw recently, like in the beginning of the year, about that with Chalamet seeing one character and transforming into another character. If anyone's ever seen. Uh, I think it's called One Hot Summer Night. It's a couple years old. He starts off as this awkward little kid, and by the end of the movie, he's pretty much this crazy drugged-out drug dealer. But it just shows the range of personality that Xiaomi has as an actor. Of course, uh, to become the prophet, Paul first has to ride the worm. As we've seen in the trailers, we can expect some spectacular... Uh, uh, cinema from, from this sequence, and the Emperor piece reveals that there is a hand-picked crew called the Worm Unit who actually spent three months full-time filming the scene and bringing the sandworm to life in the most realistic uh, way uh, possible. Uh, cinematographer uh, Greg Frazier, he also had a comment in this interview, and he explained, just because there are no real sandworms doesn't mean we're going to go on a, onto a soundstage. We were outside shooting sandworms in the real sun with real wind and real dust. Just because you don't have one small element doesn't mean you throw away the entire concept of being honest and real. Uh, so we had previously heard of um, the crew's uh, plans to approach the sandworms practically. In fact, uh, back in part one, they actually built a real-size uh, segment of a sandworm to test how it moved uh, in the sand. Um, Garen, in, in past episodes, we've, we've talked about like, you know, the amazing attention to detail and all the effort went into like, constructing the sets for the, for the movie. Like, what are your th thoughts on this one? Uh, I actually expect nothing less um, because the sandworm is such a, a, a central figure uh, in this in this in this whole universe, um, and it has a lot of layers of, of of symbolism, and it represents a lot of different things, uh, both religious and and we'll soon see from a military standpoint as well. But no, I'm I'm absolutely uh, expecting that. I mean, I think I originally heard that. Uh, Villeneuve and the designers took a full year in designing uh, in designing the sandworm. So obviously, it's being taken extremely seriously. They know it's central to the story. So having a, a, a team that's actually dedicated to this and working for weeks and months on this, um, yeah, I'm I'm I mean I'm relieved. That's the way it should be. Um, I, I think, you know, I I really have a lot of respect for, for David Lynch and, and, and the 84 movie has a, has a very special place in my heart, but, and for the time, those sandworms in 84, they, they were kind of mind blowing at the time, you know, but that kind of thing just doesn't stand up uh, as, as the, as the decades go on. So um, giving this everything you've got from a technical standpoint, a cinematic standpoint, a realism standpoint, um, seeing this sandworm as an ancient um, creature. You know, it's not something that was born a week ago. It's, it's ancient and it needs to feel that way. It needs to look that way. It needs to almost, we don't smell in a theater, but it's almost like you could smell the spice in part one when, when Paul is confronted with the, the, the open maw of the, of the sandworm. And I think that realism is the result of all the work and all the dedication they're putting into to the design and the execution. And so writing these sandworms is going to be critical. <laughs> it's going to have to work and we're going to have to believe it because that's a critical part of this part too. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see just how much of the worm they practically built. I'm sure we'll see all of that in the behind the scenes videos and photographs and art and so on book and, and stuff like that. Uh, in, the, in the Lynch movie, they the bit where Paul opens the segments was filmed in the car park with the worm segments being pulled along by a truck. Works well in the film, but you know if, if they've actually gone to the desert to film that, it's going to be uh, impressive. Uh, I'm also interested to see if we'll see a little uh, little maker. Uh, there's a, a casting for a, a maker handler or something like that, which suggests that we might see the production of The Water of Life. Um, so, yeah, br bring on the worms. Hey, movie magic goes a long way. You know, back in 84, like we said, that would have been, that that was it back in 84. I mean, when you think about it, X-Wings were flying models in Van Nuys, you know, 
Um, but I believe in Denis. I believe in the visual team. I believe in everyone in this. And I'm glad that we're not already getting warm images. I mean, there's one in the Empire magazine, but it's like in the middle of a fighting scene. I want the warm to be a mystery. I want the first time we really see Shai Hulu see it in IMAX and just being like, whoa, this this is amazing. And like Garen said, we can't smell it. It's not a John Waters movie where we scratch and sniff stuff. But I want to feel that like this is ancient. This has been around for years, centuries. So like we always say in Denis We Trust and you know the rest of the production team. Yeah, and speaking of that image in, in Emperor Magazine, it's it's not clear if it's actual shot or more like a concept art, but that definitely promises that you know that that final scene with uh, uh, Paul and the, and the Fremen riding sandworms, uh, advancing on on Arakeen, that's going to be an, an epic uh, scene scene to see on uh, on IMAX. Uh, really looking forward to that and and seeing like how the the Sardaukar, like before feared as as the most powerful fighting force in the universe, they basically have have no chance. Yeah, it, it is a concept art. It, it does it is labeled as concept art in the magazine. The interviews uh, also confirm we'll be seeing much more of the Harkonnens and their homeworld in Dune Part 2. They're a greedy and violent bunch, a quote from the director. If there's a party somewhere that you want to attend, it's on their homeworld, Gedi Prime. These guys know how to throw a party. <laughs> they, they, um, they're not meant to be on Arrakis, though. They hate the planet, they hate the people, and they're just there for the money. That's where their weakness is. One specific Harkonnen seems to be set still to the show, though. Uh, Fade Ralpha, played by Austin Butler, makes his first appearance here as Villeneuve has opted to keep the character as one of the mysteries uh, for part two. Uh, he talks about uh, Austin. Uh, he brought something that is a cross between a psychopath killer, an Olympic swordmaster, a snake, and Mick Jagger. <laughs> he has tremendous uh, sex appeal and charisma and madness. It's really out there. Mark, always good to see more Harkonnens? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I did like the the mention of Mick Jagger as Fade because, uh, as you might know, in Jodorowsky's Dune, uh, Mick Jagger was uh, who uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky wanted to play Fade. So whatever it is about Mick Jagger, he's he's got Harkonnen written all over him. Um, but yeah, uh, excited to see more of Gaby Prime. We saw very little of it in part one, very little of the Harkonnens uh, and not at all of Fade. Uh, to, so to see more of that world, whether it's in black and white or, or what, we're... <laughs> Still to be discovered, uh, but yeah, the the gladiator scene looks great in the trailer that we've seen so far. Uh, so yeah, really excited to to see more of the the bald heads. I think we've talked a lot about how we're all Austin Butler fans uh, on this crew, um, and we we really feel like Fade is going to as a character is going to be very well served uh, by someone of Austin's caliber here. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to me, I think, to see how uh, Villeneuve's adaptation makes Fade and, and, and how Austin Butler is, is going to portray this, but how Villeneuve is going to make him out to be more keenly aware of what he's doing or kind of on the edge of sanity, you know, because Fade can come across as almost calmly deadly and evil but he also can come across as almost kind of crazy um and and it's so it'll be interesting to see kind of the direction that villeneuve goes with with fade whatever that is uh i think austin butler absolutely uh is, is gonna nail that i have a lot of confidence especially after seeing him in elvis which i'm a huge fan of that film um so it'll be it'll be exciting to see i think to create the, the the evil, almost astounding brutality of, of the Harkonnens. It might be a combination of these two directions that I've kind of been talking about. Um, that maybe at times he does come across as as very level-headed and conniving and and clear-minded in his evil, and at times he does kind of lose control. Um, that might create that sinister kind of unexpected uh evil nature of the character but it's it's going to be counter as we all know from the story it's going to be counter to paul and so you know, that that last scene or however it is at the end of the film is going to be really exciting you know austin's performance is the one i'm the most excited to see we all know what timothy can bring we all know what zendaya can bring rebecca ferguson 
you know, the rest of the crew. But when Austin Butler was cast, I remember I was the first one. I was like, who is this guy? Who is this Austin Butler guy? You know, for the longest time, I thought his name was Austin uh, Butter, like butter, <laughs> like when you put on your toast. Uh, but then I saw Elvis and I was blown away. And when I talk to people about Dune Part 2 and they're like, oh, are you excited? I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to see Austin Butler. And they're like, you mean Elvis? I'm like, yeah. And I show him a picture of what he looks like as Faith. And people are just blown away. That's not the same guy. I'm like, yes, it is. So just the visuals already are mind-blowing. And who knows? He might be nominated for a Best Supporting Actor. I mean, I'm not a big Elvis fan, but I believe that was Elvis. The whole entire time I watched that movie, especially the last hour of that movie, I was like, is this Elvis or is it, you know, an actor playing Elvis? But I love also that Denis is keeping him a secret and the marketing as well. We've been seeing a little bit of images here and there with him, but nothing too much of giving away the dual personality, like Aaron was saying. And I want to see the psychopath like Faye Roth. I want him to go crazy. But also, I'm curious about the Mick Jagger stuff because you're right. Mick Jagger's always been kind of connected to Dune. And it's funny that we have all these singers or actors that are singers playing that character. So Faye Rafa is a, is a rock star. Yeah, he performs in a different sort of arena, though, to, uh, to Mick Jagger. People die in that arena. <laughs> <laughs> Another mystery character is Leia Sadu, um, who is playing uh, Lady Margot uh, Fenring. In Frank Herbert's original novel, uh, the Bender's sister only appears in one chapter and like for a pretty minor role, and it's alluded to how she's going to interact with, uh, with Fade. Uh, but apparently she'll have uh, more of a presence in the movie. Villeneuve didn't have too much to say, though. I don't want to talk too much about Lady Fenring. She's part of, part of the spider web of the Bandage Desert, but I want to keep the mystery around her. The director knows that we can expect to see a lot more of the Bandage Desert influence in general in his movies. My version of Dune is different, because the thing that really seduced me about the book was the Bandage Desert. My adaptation is more oriented towards uh, their impact. They are the puppet masters of the universe. Uh, so, Garen, when you, when you hear uh, Villeneuve's comments about uh, the Benedictor having even more of a, um, a role to play in his movies, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought a lot about that when I, when I read that in Empire. And, um, you know, the, the challenge with Frank Herbert's novel <clears throat> is you, you have so many factions. You have so many uh, groups of characters. And I think he's absolutely right that the Bene Gesserit is the center point, uh, the, the crux of uh, all the, the dynamics that, that occur and the conflict that happens in the, in the Dune novels. So I think to focus and emphasize their controlling nature, because again, I know we keep kind of comparing uh, to, to Lynch's Dune, but the Bene Gesserit in Lynch's Dune played more of a supporting character role and, and, and sadly at times almost felt um, dated in, 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 the, in the female influence in the storyline. Um, and it, of course it was 40 years ago, so you know times have changed. But I think Frank Herbert all the way along intended on the Benny Chesterit being the true power behind the throne as it were. Um, that's the way he always envisioned it. So for Denis to take that direction with, with his emphasis, I think is, is accurate to the source material. But I also think that's why we're going to have um, a television series based on the Bene Gesserit. The reason we're, we're going to have that is because there is so much power and influence from this faction of the Bene Gesserit. And, and part of their deception is that they may appear to be subservient at times. They're, they're the, the advisor to sometimes, uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the male uh, um, leader or, or, or the male uh, king or, or general, as it were. And so that appears to be as though they're secondary, but the reality is, is they are controlling so much behind the scenes, so much more than what everyone is aware of. So I, I think he's 
taking the right approach with this. Bene Gesserit are a fascinating uh, faction, um, and, and they've been around just for generations and eons, and and they are kind of laying the groundwork and creating this environment to have all of this conflict. So they, they really are the master puppeteers uh, controlling this all. So, yeah, I think I think Denis got it exactly right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. The Bene Gesserit are one of the cornerstones of the uh, Frank Herbert's Dunes saga. By the time we get to the last two books, you know, it's pretty much what the Bene Gesserit are doing. Uh, and yeah, they are, even in Paul Muadib's time, they are controlling the throne. They are controlling the bloodlines. Um, even uh, Princess Irulan is also being trained as a Bene Gesserit. So it'd be interesting to see if Denny brings in any of that aspect to uh, Irulan's storyline. Uh, she's certainly on the oppressor's side of the Empire's covers. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Bene Gesserit are... If there wasn't for the Bene Gesserit, we wouldn't have uh, the Kwisatz Haderach. Uh, that's how important they are to the Dune story. I was kind of surprised when Denise said that he wants to keep her a mystery. And it also makes me think now we might not have her husband in the film. And it might be a twist on how that character is portrayed. And as soon as I read that, I was like, A, I'm excited. Because I I love that he's going to twist it around just a little bit. And like what Garen was saying is it's great setup also for people that see part two. And when we get the show, it'll get people interested. And Mark, you're right. They've been controlling everything since the beginning. And in the later books, it's obvious to know what they were doing all along. Just a couple of episodes back, we were talking about uh, scenes that were deleted from uh, from Dune Part 2. And uh, one of them was a specific scene with uh, with uh, Josh Brolin, where he plays the Balisade. And that was unfortunately died on the cutting room floor. Uh, but the Empire uh, interview confirmed that we're actually going to get um, a Balisade scene in uh, Part 2. So uh, Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck, he's actually going to perform a sad, a sad tune and... Uh, yeah, it's it's um, something that actually Villeneuve really prioritized. That he he said it became a an obsession for him to include in in the film. Uh, Garen, are are you glad that we're getting to, to see that uh, that scene now in part two? Sorry, I'm only laughing because um, I find this just a little bit interesting. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Gurney's Balasa skills, I'm sure. Uh, well, and Josh Brolin, I don't want to take anything away from him, too, because clearly he can play the guitar, which is something likened to a balisette. Um, but I, I found it kind of interesting that this part of uh, Gurney's character did not come out in part one, that that's going to be revealed in part two, because even the way uh, Villeneuve described part one, it's kind of the setup, right? It's it's not as exciting and as intense. So I guess I'm finding it a little strange that, well, why didn't you just include that in part one? And I'm sure there's great reasons. And I'm sure Joe Walker could tell me what those were. But I just, I guess I'm a little surprised because either you're going to include that and have that be a part of Gurney's character because he he was the poet warrior. But, but if you haven't read the book and you watch part one, you don't know that. I mean, yes, you did see him reading uh, the Orange Catholic Bible a couple of times, I think, or and, and even one time quoting it, or a couple of times quoting it. So, yes, we were exposed to that part of Gurney, but I thought this should have been in part one. So why are we bringing it into part two? I don't know. I, I just think it's a little little different. Uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, to Gurney's Balasette playing, hitting number one on the Billboard charts uh, <laughs> next year. I'm, I'm sure that will be on the Spotify playlist. Uh, but yeah, uh, Gurney, the, for whatever reason, Denny, Denny wants to include that, and I'm not going to be the one that says he can't include that. Uh, Gurney's Balasette playing was also cut from Lynch's Dune. Um, so who knows? Uh, I do agree with you, Garen. It's kind of weird to have it in part two. The only thing I'm thinking of is it might be kind of like a quiet little scene before the storm really takes off. And also, when it does hit number one on iTunes and everything, uh, Legendary, let's talk about marketing. Can we make a vinyl in the shape of the Bella set as a single? Just saying. 
So, so it's going to beat out the uh, the uh, Sardaukar throat singing guy from part one. I don't, I don't know, because I was pretty big on social media. That'll be on the beef on the B side. <laughs> cool. So, what what comes next after Dune Part Two? Uh, Veneuve has made no secret of his ambition to film Dune Messiah, second book in Frank Herbert's original saga. Uh, he sees the potential third film as completing uh, Paul Trady's story arc. So this is a quote from him. If I succeed in making a trilogy, that would be a dream. Dune Messiah was written in reaction to the fact that people perceived Paul Trades as a hero, uh, which is not what Frank Herbert uh, wanted to do. My Dune adaptation is closer to his idea that is actually a warning. Of course, uh, we'll have to see how Dune Part uh, Two does in the in, in theaters. Uh, you know, like uh, it will have to be a financial su success for them to do continuations. Uh, but Villeneuve admits that there's already some work going on. Uh, he literally says, "I will say there are words on paper." So, um, Simon, uh, kn knowing about the discussion on, in the in the article, like they they even uh, mentioned as Dune part, uh, part three, like assuming that we, we do get the, the sequel in, in many f years from, from now, do you think it would make sense to call it Dune part three or uh, Dune Messiah or something else? That's tricky. Um, uh, because people might think Dune Messiah is a different movie or a different part. I, if they go with the episode numbers, kind of like what star Wars does, I'm fine with that. I do want them to wait a while because each of these characters are going to grow, you know, in time. I don't want it to start production next year or I'm good if they wait another five years and bring us back to Arrakis to make it feel special. And honestly, I have a feeling it's, it's pretty much set and done. They're probably just don't want to announce anything just yet. And when I was talking about the dessert, that is the dessert right there. Dude Messiah. Now, the Dune nerd boy in me wants to see up to God Emperor and maybe, you know, further on. But I'm okay with just stopping a Messiah. I think what's important is to give our actors time to age because there is a time jump between Messiah and, you know, the first book. Uh, and I think people are are not going to be expecting what they what will happen. I think part two will give them a little bit of clues, but there are certain lines uh, in Messiah where you might think again about who your heroes are and who was the good guys and the bad guys. It's the catch 22, you know, is this the greater good or is this the greater evil, you know? And that's what was great about Frank when he wrote that. And I do think it's important that we do create something like that in the time that we live in. So maybe, you know, 2030, we'll get Dune Messiah. Uh, I was I was just going to say, my, my vote for the title of the Dune Messiah is Dune 2 Part 1. Uh, <laughs> I think it's got a, a nice ring to it, but probably not. Um, I always bring this back to Lynch, but uh, there's an interview with Frank Herbert and David Lynch um, during the post-production uh, post of Lynch's Dune, and... There's, they point out that there's a, a script for Dune Messiah sat on the end of a coffee table uh, because they were planning on doing Dune Messiah uh, after Lynch's Dune. How that would have worked, because in Lynch's Dune, we don't get the hint that uh, Paul Atreides turns out quite how he does. So it's more of a, a hero story. Uh, that would have been interesting to see. Uh, but hopefully, fingers crossed, we will see uh, Dune Messiah from Denis Villeneuve. Um, he does have rendezvous with Rama and Cleopatra lined up. So yeah, I, I agree with Simon. It's probably going to be quite a few years yet before we see that, but that'll work very well with the, the time jump between the two books. So I'm not, I'm not subscri subscribing. I'm not ascribing this to uh, Villeneuve's intentions here, but um, much the same way you have the Godfather series, Godfather uh, part two and then part three, and there was actually a long span of time from part two to part three. And it's, it, it's, it's all about the main character uh, in, in Godfather. Um, and, and I wonder if that's kind of what Villeneuve uh, might be envisioning here, because to answer your question that was that Simon answered earlier is I, I, I don't think it should be called Dune Messiah. Now that caters to those of us that know the books and, and have loved the books for many years. But I think for, for most of the audience who may not be familiar with the source material, 
it, it should be part three because it really is a continuation of Paul. And the reason I believe Villeneuve wants to make sure or, or his dream is to have uh, Messiah be part three is because you really do want to walk away. I, I was reading on, on uh, the Dune subreddit, a conversation from just a few days ago where people were really commenting back and forth on why was the end of the first Dune novel uh, for this particular reader so unsatisfying and, and so almost like it all hurried through everything. And it was a great discussion on, on Dune subreddit, but without reading Dune Messiah, and in the case of the films, without having Dune Part 3, the full arc of his character and what Frank Herbert meant to teach us about putting your faith in leaders that are human, it isn't complete without that, without that third part. And, and so I really hope, and, and I'm with Simon because God Emperor Dune is one of my favorite ones. I, I love that one. But that's 3,500 years beyond, right? I, I understand why Villeneuve wants to kind of stay with the Paul character. Um, but I think without part three, and I, I agree, there can be some time, and there's going to be a couple of movies that Villeneuve needs to make before he considers part three. But I think that puts the bookend on the Paul character. And without that, you might have some audience members, much like this reader in the Dune subreddit, going, why was that so unsatisfying? Like, what? Why didn't, why did he kind of turn out to be a jerk, you know? But when you understand the rest of the story, which is Messiah, which would be Dune Part 3, then it makes sense. It's clear what the message of that character was. Karen, I agree with you on everything, except in this household, we don't talk about The Godfather Part 3 and Indiana Jones Part 4. <laughs> we don't talk about those. But no, it is super crucial. It is a really good bookend. And if HBO wants to develop more shows, you need, spoiler, you need to have in Messiah the kids being born. And then from there, you can do a Children of Dune TV show and lead into the further books. But you're right. It does need to show why Paul was acting that way all along. And I think it is a good way to end it cinematically being like, this is it. And now let's go into like kind of. I hate using the Marvel terms or the Star Wars terms, but let's spin it off into TV shows. And I think TV is only going to get better in those upcoming years. I mean, TV's not the same that it's even been in the past five, 10 years. So I think TV productions can be something amazing with many series like Children of Dune. No offense to the sci-fi series, but like let HBO develop it, take their time and make it multiple se seasons. Yeah, and speaking of uh, TV series, I think that, that there's um, a lot of possibility now that wasn't there before. Like I, I've watched um, the, the Rings of Power, like the first two episodes when they when they screened in the in the movie theater, and uh, Ahsoka episode five that was just this this past week was also screened in the movie theater. So it doesn't mean that if it's uh, designed for you know TV that that it can't like uh, you know make an event around it. Um, I, I've, I've said before I would have loved to see uh, like uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, doing adaptation as a you know, like an HBO pre, uh, premiere uh, series of, you know, 10 plus episodes. And, you know, you don't have to worry about any deleted scenes. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll get all the character development. Uh, you'll get time to explore everything. You'll, you'll get like that uh, Duncan, Duncan drop. You'll get the dinner scene and, and everything. And it will work because you have the time uh, to breathe and you can still add a, add a lot of uh, excitement to the TV series. Having said that, like, I feel that uh, Dune Messiah or Dune Part, Part 3, I actually do like the idea of it being called uh, Dune Part 3, although there's, you know, that, that's a quote from the interview. We don't know for sure if that's what they're considering or not. Um, but yeah, I think that makes a perfect movie. It's, it's a shorter, shorter book. And it's really, uh, when, you, when you read it, there's not as much um, like action in terms of fighting, but there's like so much uh, going on. There's so much political in intrigue. You know, it's, it can be like a political thriller for, you know, like uh, two, two and a half, uh, maybe three hours, but like you don't have to worry about that you're not gonna be able to tell the uh, whole story. I feel like a movie is a perfect format for, uh, for that type of thriller. Yeah, Marcus, and I, I think Villeneuve can see that so clearly. Uh, that's why he's saying something like, it is my dream to have part three uh, become a reality, have Messiah become a, a movie. Um, because he he knows exactly what you just said. And and I think his vision is, 
and it really does have all the right pieces to make a really politically intriguing film. Um, it, it's not a war, epic war movie like like part two is going to be, um, but there's just so much, um, there's so many interesting developments and kind of surprises that evolve in Messiah. So I agree with you. I think it'd make a great film. Yeah. And just uh, just calling it back to the Godfather discussions earlier and the uh, Children of Dune miniseries, which also includes Dune Messiah, confusingly. But the ending of that uh, one, there is a settling of accounts with a montage, which has got some great score, but it is also a Godfather montage, uh, a Godfather homage, uh, with cutting between uh, retributions and uh, settling of accounts against all the Atreides, uh, uh, Atreides adversaries. I do think Dune Messiah is very much, if you haven't read it and you're a Marvel fan and you're listening to this podcast, it is the winter soldier of the Dune universe. You know, it is very political intrigue and people come back that you don't expect coming back. So that's another part. Like you can set that up and have it go smoothly into the TV shows. Only time will tell. Okay, great. Well, it's uh, still, as mentioned, a long time to wait till the movie comes out, but there's going to be a lot more material coming out before then, so stay tuned. Before we close uh, the show for today, we do have one, uh, one bite when it comes to the TV series. Dune TV News. So as, as mentioned, uh, the Dune TV series, Dune of Sisterhood, is currently uh, in production, and we got a... Um, a, a screen or a photo on, on social media that was, was posted by uh, Pierre Gilles, the director of photography. And uh, he wrote uh, together with this, uh, this photo that basically shows them filming uh, outdoors and there's some sort of um, aerial setup uh, going on there. Um, and he's saying a hot shooting day in Budapest on a set of Hidden Hand HBO Max, uh, Dune TV series in, uh, in uh, parentheses. So, um, Mark, I don't think you were on the on the episodes where, where we talked about uh, the TV show in in the past. Um, what what do you make of this shot, and what are your thoughts on the TV series uh, overall? Like, how excited are you about uh, that? Yeah, I, I was thinking about the TV series this morning because going back many years, do you remember when it was announced and we thought we might get the TV series before June Part One? Yeah. <laughs> and here we are. We're going to get June Part Two before the TV series comes out. Uh, but yes, we're we're finally. It's, uh, they are effectively reshooting the first episode, I believe, because there was um, the, a change of directors and cast. So there's loads of deleted scenes for the sisterhood already before we've even got the first episode. Uh, but it's going ahead. Uh, the photograph, um, it's in Budapest. The, it looks like there's a, a rain rig on the left-hand side. Um, and it looks like we're actually getting uh, to see some of the costumes. There are some women all in the same sort of cream brownie dress uh, that are hanging around. Uh, presumably the sisterhood, who knows. Um, so, yeah, excited for this, but um, whoa, it's been going on for so long. There have been so many false starts. Um, I'll believe it when I see it, really, on this one, I think. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about it, uh, Mark, but I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm a little, little uh, gun-shy uh, in, in getting my hopes up that something else might derail it. Um, I, I think that's probably a natural response to the what's happened but all the way along i just felt like what a what a rich well to draw from to create uh, a really fascinating uh tv series there's just so much to create depending on what time frame you cover which could be vast there's just so much and as long as you know they're developing really good characters it looks like they've got some really uh formidable actors involved I am really excited about it. I'm just kind of nervous that it's not going to become reality. <laughs> yeah, one thing I did think was interesting was the um, the hidden hand, which is the the code name for the project. I think which ties back into our discussions earlier. You know, the Benny Gesserit are the hidden hand throughout the entire Dune universe. They are the power behind the throne. They are the puppet masters. Uh, they they're controlling the bloodlines. Um, so yeah, it's a very apt code name. Uh, possibly, um, um, maybe it'll be an episode title as well. Who knows? 
sometimes code names are even better than real names. Let's not forget <laughs> Blue Harvest for <laughs> Return of the Jedi. But like Aaron said, there's still a lot of times, and who knows, it might get delayed even more. But yeah, there was a time when we were going to get the show before the actual film. So we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer, I guess. So yes, there, there is an actors union strike uh, going on in the United States, and we're fully supportive of that. Uh, however, this is a, a production that, that's being being handled by uh, UK um, actors union. So like there are different rules that apply there. So a lot of productions are going ahead. So it's not a Dune specific thing. So it's not like Dune is saying, okay, we're going to ignore this and go ahead. It's the same thing with um, House of the Dragon, which is uh, yeah a much more uh, well-known production that, that's also uh, going ahead. So that's that's the reason that this is still continuing. And I guess it's um, a good, good thing that we won't have like a huge gap uh, between uh, Dune Part 2 and when this releases, hopefully. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that you know, it's, it is really happening. We're, we're seeing the photos. People have, have been, been cast, as we've covered in, in great detail on, on, this, on the site. And I think... Um, Yes, assuming that uh, Dune Part Two is a great, great success and critically and financially uh, win, wins uh, Oscar awards, they're they're going to want to follow up with uh, TV series. So yeah, let's go ahead and uh, and sign off for for today. Hey guys, uh, you can follow me on social. Thank you again for watching, listening, and like I said, if you're not watching the video show, there's there's a little something different that we did. Uh, Follow me on socials at sdowdy. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your support. And I do love that the Empire Magazine still had hope, and it said November 4th when it was published. Uh, th thanks for having me back on. Uh, always great to talk June with you guys. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me on social media, I'm at June Info pretty much everywhere. Uh, hope to see you there. Uh, always enjoy the time talking with my, my Dune buddies. So um, thanks, Simon. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks, Marcus. And I really appreciate everyone who follows us and, and, and comments and, and supports us. We, we know you're Dune fans and we, we wish you could all just be on this show with us. And I guess in a sense you are. So thanks for joining. Twitter at Dune Newsnet. You can find me writing there and on uh, Twitter or now X at uh, Marcus's Writing. Uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for the support. We have a couple of uh, interviews and more uh, breakdowns uh, coming up in the next shows. Until then, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.